welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Frasier. I'm Will. Okay. And this week we are looking at Season 2, Episode 1, Slow Tango in South Seattle, in which Frasier must confront his, quote, first time after he finds out his youth has been fictionalized in a new bestseller. Now, Key, I could ask you this week about my <laughs> first time, but I'm going to spare your blushes and instead focus on something completely different, and it is cardigans. Thomas J. Fallow wears an impressive knitted cardigan in this episode, which I'm sure you notice. My questions this week are two, do you own one? And if so, why? And if not, also why? <laughs> talk, talk to me about cardigans, Key. One, I'm very grateful you didn't ask about my first time. <laughs> no, I thought you might be. <laughs> um, no one's writing a book about that, I can tell you. <laughs> um, second, uh, no, I don't own a cardigan. I do have like a very nice little argyle jacket, which has like a zip, which is really nice. Oh, um, is it like a quarter zip one? Because I feel like I've maybe seen you in it. You may very well have, have seen oh, me in it, yeah. It is very um, fetching, yeah, you should be proud Shannon, of it. Shannon hates it with a passion. I'm not allowed <laughs> to go out with her if I'm wearing it. Um, no, it, it was it's amazing. absolutely love it. But I don't have a cardigan. My brother does. My brother, when I was younger, St- Steve was a big cardigan guy. And he had one actually quite similar to Thomas J. Fallows. Really? Like um, a big kind of rolled on the neck, very broad-shouldered kind of deal? Yeah, he thought he looked good in it, and he didn't. It's <laughs> really weird you said that, because I asked this, one, because the cardigan always strikes me but two my brother like i'd say 10 no 15 years ago cardigans had a big moment and he used to wear them all the time and like my family used to joke and call him val dunigan who i think is like an old country and western singer and he used to sit in a rocking chair with a cardigan on um but yeah they had a big moment didn't they but i don't think our generation ever fortunately <laughs> carried the cardigan over but we sometimes see fraser in one but uh thomas j fallows is extremely striking so I thought I'd open with a bit of clothing garment chat this week. Um, are you ready to tuck yourself into Trivia Corner? I am indeed. Excellent. So we've been sent in two batches of questions this week. If I just hop over onto the Reddit to find them. From Hamish, Cam Winston, of course, and Mischief Knight, two regulars to uh, listeners now on the Trivia Corner circuit. So we'll start with Hamish's. So question one, Frasier is talking to Stephen, who calls into the show. What's Stephen's wife's name? I think I know this because I always try to be quite on the ball with the callers. Mm. Um, and the guest caller for this one is something I want to mention when we do the review. Um, but I think his wife's name is Tracy. It is indeed Tracy, my mother's name, an excellent name, if I do say so myself. <laughs> uh, well played, okay, one out of three. Let's see how question two fares. What does Niles find Maris cooing over? Oh, okay. I think, is it the college student who cleans the koi pond? He does that? indeed. That is absolutely spot on. And if we're going to be very specific, he skims the koi pond apparently i assume that's to get like leaves and, and things out um they use like one of those little little nets but yes he cleans the koi pond while playing it two out of three they pretty we've got off to a good start this week you're feeling fresh and up for it i can tell Fine. it feels a bit like we've had, even though we only recorded the review episode last week mm. it's a bit like this is the first of september and it's uh start of a new year sort it of thing it does like a new academic year it does it really yeah. does we've talked about last week feeling like an own clothes day where we kind of just got to kick back and go off script but we're back in it now and you're up for it okay last question of Hamish is what song is Miss Warners's mother playing on the piano when Frasier arrives at her house big big fan of this question oh, I don't know the name of the song but I can hear it in my head it's like duh, 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 duh. yeah I can hear you humming yeah I think you're pretty accurate there um but I don't know what it's called <laughs> I have no idea it so. is the Blue Danube a very famous piece of course oh actually although this is super famous for a million different reasons 
I always remember it very vividly from an old Looney Tunes cartoon. I think it was a Bugs Bunny one that I used to watch a lot when I was a kid. So there you go. Associations all over the place. That was uh, pretty good. You've, you hummed it, but I'll give you two out of three for Hamish's there. Pretty good. Thank you, uh, Hamish, for sending those in. Um, I believe you've got three for me before we move over to Corey's. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so first question. Let's go. Um, what is the name and the ingredients of the sandwich that Gil suggests to Frasier? Oh, God. It's the it's the something remember the Fraser Crane double decker or the Crane double decker. That's I, correct. I, yeah. it, I, it's like an old. I think it might be like aged pheasant. I think it's something pheasant. Some some kind of pheasant. I think actually it could be way off. Was it pigeon? I think it's like a game meat and spring chicken. One more. Just one, one more thing. Yeah, you're, you're bang on with the first two. Oh, and then is it like a a, a condiment to go with them? Uh, I wouldn't call it a condiment. No. Oh. Something maybe the buns, spring chicken, aged pheasant. And that's, yeah, there is a slice of something between them, maybe. Or uh, you're gonna have to give it my consisted of aged pheasant, spring chicken, and of course, plenty of tongue. Plenty of tongue, of course, man. <laughs> Actually, before he adds the tongue, it sounds like a really delicious sandwich, to be honest. You know, I don't I mean, know how you were having it with meat, but we're having it with pigeon instead of pheasants. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think pigeon's actually meant to be quite nice. You know, not one you get off like, you know, Trafalgar Square. But, you know, that's really riddled with disease. But uh, there we are. Plenty of time. Okay. My second question, and I would expect except one of two answers for this, because theoretically it could be one of two. Okay. Um, and how old was Fraser when he had sex for the second time? The second time. Oh, not okay. The first time. So the first time he was 17. And then I think he says something about it being six years later so i'm gonna say 23 yeah i'm gonna give it to you he says it, it'd been six and a half years oh, there we go so man be 23 or 24 excellent question yeah i vaguely remember that line stuck with me i haven't made a note of that but the whole debacle about what age he was because it doesn't get revealed until quite late into the episode so there's a plenty of talking points on that front which we'll get to but yeah Good question, Kerr. Okay, my final question. Um, we find out in this episode, Maris cannot straddle anything bigger than a what? <laughs> I think it's... Oh, I forgot this in my review to ask about this. I believe it's a border collie. It is a border it collie, yeah. border yes. collie. Excellent breed of dog, actually, which is now forever ruined because I just imagine a horribly grotesque socialite straddling one whenever I see them. <laughs> um, but yeah, excellent questions there, Key. Thank you very much. How was that? Was that like two out of three there? Or what, two and uh, a half out of three? Two, 2.75 out of three. This is like our ranking system for the episode last <laughs> week. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I'll now ask you Mischief Knights, Corey's questions. These are some uh, some really good ones here, actually. Um, there's a co couple of parts to the uh, to the final one, so you're going to have to really use your noggin. Okay, question one. Who is the host of Book Chat on KACL? I think I know this. I think, is it is it Amber Edwards' book chat? It is Amber Edwards. I don't know why. I always thought it was Nanette. And what does Nanette do? Is it like she she hosts something? I, I think she's mentioned in an episode we've already reviewed, but I can't remember what segment she does. But yeah, you are correct. It's Amber Edwards. Well played, Kay. Okay, so question two. We've actually answered part of it, but we haven't answered the second part. So I'm going to ask it anyway. How old was Fraser when Mrs. Warner, quote, made him a man? And obviously we've, we've established that. And how many years have passed since they've seen each other? Okay, so I think he he was 17. He was 17, we've established that. In age, uh, in terms of the time that's passed, I think he says to her when he sees her, it's been 25 years. He does indeed, 25 years. I think that would be very 
yeah, very surreal for him to go back and revisit those memories. It's why this episode's very odd in many respects. It's like really personal. But yeah, 25 years keep well applied. And the last question, now this is quite a quite a long one, but it's it, not not to, to ask, but to think about, but it's really good. How many different individual copies of Slow Tango in South Seattle do we see during the course of the episode? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. And he's like finally given me, um, he's, he's broke them all down as well. So I'm not going to expect you to remember where we see them all, because that would just be like, would be here forever and it would take you a long time. But if you can make a stab in the dark at how many copies we see, and this is held by any character, named or unnamed, that appears in any scene in the episode. If it's the same book, so if I see Roz holding a book in two different scenes, is that two or one? That's just one. I think it's one. It's only. I think everyone, everyone that's been listed here is a different person holding a copy of the book. So okay. we assume individual copies are owned by the person. See Roz holding one right at the very start. Yes, we do. Gets back and there's one in the flat uh, in the apartment, I think. Yes, there is. That's two. So, I think um, Thomas J. Fallow has one when he's on book chat. Yes, he does. That's three. I think Amber Edwards have one as well, I think. Um, has that been named here? That one's not been listed by Corey, and considering how accurate his the rest of them are, okay. I'm just going okay. to guess he doesn't have one. But that really is surprising. So maybe you could be right there. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll go with Corey on this one. But yeah, that it okay. makes no sense that she wouldn't have one. But there we are. They all come in, don't they? When he starts crying, does one of them have a book there? I think they do. Uh, there's 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 more than one. Um, but I oh, can't God. I can't tell you how many because obviously <laughs> I'm gonna have to tally these up and make a total guess at some point. But yes, that what is that is a case when they rush in. I think Roz comes in with like two other people. So if we're not counting Roz's because was in the first one i had two on and i forgot how many i had to begin with but i think i'm on five now you had ross in the opening scene the one in the apartment uh, thomas j fallows and now you're saying two people that rush okay. out when he cries that's five. five i think frazier is reading one by the piano so that's six yes but i think um i think miss Corey has claimed that as the one that we discover in the apartment anyway okay but it doesn't Daphne hit him with another copy as she walks past him. Yes, so he's he's included that one. So basically, okay. there's two copies in the apartment. So you've you've got you've done the legwork there, and you've got the two in the apartment. So that's fine. You've okay. got that. Any more? Or are you going to tally up now? There's one more, but uh, not necessarily that you're right. But there's one like really kind of striking one. You'll kick yourself thinking, "Oh yeah, of course they had one." Yeah, you've done. You've done oh, oh, well, um, Gil and Bulldog have one. There we go. Bulldog's reading from one. Is that seven? I'm going to say seven. Right, you are so close, Key. I'm oh. going to give you half a point. He says he will accept eight or nine because three KACL employees rush in when Fallows is crying, so that would make it eight. And but a, a fourth woman enters, and we don't see the book. And but Corey put, I can't fault Key for assuming that she likely has one. Therefore, he would have accepted nine as well. Uh, but you are one off, Key. I think that's a, I think that's an amazing effort. So. If you'd have said there was one more, I'd have guessed with uh, Clarice having one. That's that's where my mind would have gone with that. So yeah, because she what does it? know about the book, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. I think she had, she had read it. Yeah, so. she knows about it. So that's very I don't think that's you pretty pretty. We don't see a copy, but yeah, it's implied. But I'm going to give you a little. Uh, I don't know if you can hear that little applause there, Kate. But that was a very very excellent <laughs> effort. I think that's all the questions for this week. So thank you so much to Corey and Hamish for sending those in, as always. Um, Key, you're on particularly good form, I think, this week. So let's just dive right into the review. The animation key, do you want to tell me what it was? 
think it was fireworks. It was. I got really stupidly excited for this because I think it's the first new animation that we've had in the series. I don't think there were any fireworks last season or am I misremembering completely? It definitely hasn't been in the time that I've been really paying attention to. No, it has been. Yeah, we've both been patchy because I kind of forced it on us about halfway through. Yeah, if someone someone wants to write in and correct me there, but I'm I'm you know 70% sure we haven't seen fireworks yet. Um, so that was always nice, the addition of a new one, and that gets used throughout the throughout the whole show. So we've established Fraser is talking to Stephen um, on in KACL about whether his kid should climb into bed with him in, of a morning, which is a pretty benign question. Like I don't think this warrants phoning into a radio psychiatrist and speaking in front of thousands of people listening personally. But I think the whole thing just gets a bit inappropriate when he starts talking about shagging, basically. Like, just the, the conflation of, like, him having sex with his wife and then talking about the kid should get to bed with them. Obviously, it sets up a brilliant joke from Frasier, like, oh, and the kid comes along, you won't have to worry about that. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that the, the proximity of these jokes makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, to be honest, right, he first speaks about... Um... It's okay to let your kid come in bed with you. Everyone is thinking, like, uh, a, a TV advert, that, you know, they're all in pyjamas, it's like it's Father's Day, they come running in with the for Dad, and it's great, and it's amazing. And then in the next line, and we're trying to shag, right? It's a really, yeah, really bizarre kind of, I just, yeah, it's funny because imagining someone, you, actually, you do get people, especially in this country, phoning up on radio shows with quote-unquote problems and ended up sounding like absolute morons with these weird like rambles so it's believable in that sense but um a little bit a little bit weird as well um i will say yeah go for it one i do love fraser's line of trust me after the baby comes that won't be an issue anymore <laughs> um the other point and i i didn't get this i've just seen it on the script now but um do you know who the cameo is for the caller oh for steven yeah. <sighs> Trying to, I'm trying to hear the voice. If I was going to guess at someone, but I think this is kind of before he was big, I'd say someone like Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel or something. Someone, I didn't get this, and I'm a huge fan of this actor, so oh, I'm disappointed Matt, in myself. Keep myself um, but he, he was very big for this. Um, it's James Spader. Oh, you're joking! That's what, according to KACL, it's um. It's oh my god, he's got such a distinct voice as well. Like yeah. it, I cannot remember in my head it's sounding anything like james spader but there you go um it was a big shock to me wikipedia agrees that it's it's wow. james spader you so. say you're a fan of his like what what have you kind of seen that that makes you a fan because i i am too but i've not seen as much as i should have i mean i first saw him when i was growing up there was a tv show called boston legal oh yeah yeah and it was a bit like the four suits came along that was the big legal drama yeah um, sure. and he he was amazing with that him and william shatner were the two lead roles in that man what um, a freaking double double act yeah and it, it's the pair of them are amazing it's don't i don't watch it now because i don't like watching law dramas but it's i'd highly highly recommend it to anyone who's into that sort of thing it's a great show i was gonna say there was um a couple of others he was in a film i don't know if you'll ever see it tough turf in the 1980s tough turf no i've not seen it or heard <laughs> of it for, 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 at all it's got i think he's got robert downey jr in it as well it's it's wow um, yeah, it, let me just check if robert downey jr was in it i don't do you have um, a look yeah i, I know yeah. him from um he was in it he was in it robert downey jr was also in it it's um basically you know, he's he, he struggles to make friends he pursues the bad girl her boyfriend's a psycho and 
Yeah, that's sort of a plot. <laughs> what a synopsis of the film. People go and watch Tough Turf. <laughs> there you have Keith's capsule review. Um, I know him from The Office. He was in The American Office, obviously. He comes in it in season eight after a major character leaves. I don't want to say in case I spoil anything for, for people. And he, he is the one saving grace about the last, that season in particular. But the last two seasons of The Office are pretty, pretty poor. And, and I love The Office. But he he's brilliant in it because he, he just kind of upped everyone's game on set because he was like this big established actor and apparently everyone was just like really like wanting to do a good job when he was around even though The Office is such a frivolous show and he's brilliant in that and he's also in like a, I think Steven Soderbergh's first film which I think won the Palm Door called Sex Lies and Videotape I'm meant to be really good he's in that and I think I've... I think he was in Crash yeah. as well which is based on the J.G. Ballard book about people who get sexually attracted to car crashes so they there you go. He, I've, I've genuinely, I've never seen James Spader give a bad performance. No, he's got that. He's so, got, the voice he has as well. Like he was in um, the Blacklist TV show recently, which I've not seen. Yeah, I, I think he's of, the producer yeah. for that as well. He's really he's a man of many yeah. talents. But yeah, um, I cannot believe he voices Stephen. So great, great spot there, Keith, for checking that out. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the episode just to see if I can tell it's his voice. So at this point, we have we have the kind of introduction of Slow Tango in South Seattle and Rock. Uh, Roz kind of giving it to Fraser and him him kind of reading from it and he's like there are tangos that come flowing from the wine coloured sea. Now I know this is meant to be like a pastiche of like really bad writing but I actually think it's quite good like the passage he reads I actually really like it. I don't know how you responded to it Honestly if this was like a short five page thing or like a little <laughs> bit of poetry it would be amazing. It's got a real it's nice like, flow to it. 50 or 60 similes <laughs> in a <the> chapter <laughs> and then he was gone. <laughs> it's just yeah it is I mean it's it does a good job of kind of sending up that like really flowery prose that a lot of writers are kind of guilty of. Oh, I used to write like this when I was kind of in my first year doing creative writing. So God help the lecturers that had to read that. But yeah, no, it's it's not all bad. I think it's uh, some of the stuff he reads, and I like Fraser's kind of mock retort. You know, there are there are some things that make your lunch rise ever upwards and stuff like that. It's a really good really good moment. I, I love the fact, I don't know about, I don't know if this is the same with you, but I've, I feel like I've seen this episode quite a lot. And the fact that his name is Thomas J. Fallow, and they, you know, he has that middle name initial because it makes him sound like an author in, in the world of the show. I can't think of him without naming him completely. Like, I can't think of him as Thomas or Fallow. Like, to me, he's always the full name. Genuinely, if you said to me, Kieran, what's, what is just his first name? I'd struggle. I'd, yeah, I'd, you have I'd to Thomas J. Fallow. Out, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you have to. You, you, you get everything or nothing at all. That's... Yeah, and what's really interesting about him is um, because Frasier has this whole spiel and he realises that he's kind of um, lifted Frasier's own personal you know, anecdote and, and kind of fictionalised it and made it into this massive moneymaker, presumably. It's like the Fifty Shades of Grey of its time, essentially. He, Frasier says, you know, that he used to speak to him back in Boston, in, in presumably in the Cheers bar, though I don't think that's ever specifically mentioned. I think we're just meant to assume it's, it's Cheers. I have only watched half of Cheers as we've discussed and do plan on finishing it at some point but I would love to know from people listening in if he actually ever does appear in an episode like is Frasier referring to something that happens in the world of the show like the lore or is he referring to something we actually have seen in an episode because as far as I know he's not actually in Cheers and that's just like Frasier kind of embellishing his backstory but I don't know if you had any thoughts on that I've probably seen less of Cheers than you have mm. um, I, I, it was something I was going to ask you actually I'm, I'm 
really interested to know. I suspect, I strongly suspect that he wasn't in Cheers. Oh, I'm, um, I'm with you, I think. Because that is one hell of a, a brilliant writing and link up. If, how if, amazing would it be? Yeah, how incredible would it be if they'd actually pull that off and you can go back and find the episode where Frasier just offhandedly in like a B-plot scene tells him that at the bar. Like that would just be, I mean, it, I wouldn't put it past the writers of Frasier. We know what they're capable of, but that would be that would be unreal. The point in the apartment at this point, when we, we cut back to Daphne, a rare shot of her actually doing her job. <laughs> you know, we really have lost sight by this point in the show. We're only a season in of why she lives with them. <laughs> I don't know if you kind of thought this as well. She is a living healthcare worker and we actually see her doing her job with Martin probably like five to five to ten times and i'm definitely erring on the the shorter side of that scale we actually you know it's the only amount of times we see her doing this over the course of this show so it's it's striking to see her like actually you know putting her presumed physiotherapy knowledge to work interesting if you i think if you showed any random episode of phrase to someone and said what is daphne's job they'd say like a maid or a cleaner or At something massively, like that they would never associate that she's there because of martin it is just, to be honest with you, the only times I, I can even think of doing any kind of physical healthcare is all, and she's always interrupted by Eddie. I don't think she yeah. ever does it for more than about 10 seconds. Yeah, it's literally the shortest thing, or she's massaging Niles where he's, you know, say, oh, frost me like a cake, or she's massaging Frasier and he, like, spills the beans, you know. We see her kind of giving some kind of health care to, to others in the show, but yeah, like, we really have lost sight of why she lives there, and although I'm so glad she does, that it the show wouldn't be nothing without her and the fact that she actually lives with them is such a brilliant part of the show you know i would hate to see her go but yeah we really have just completely lost like you just kind of think what on earth is she uh is she doing here this is hard to justify at the moment i don't think there's any ill reason for her to live with them there's really not but they they kind of they do a good job of suspending disbelief and we just buy it don't we we just kind of think yeah that's fine she's she becomes family so quickly but i think we just kind of we forget that she's a healthcare worker we just think oh she's daphne she lives with them it's fine and i think I mean, if the within, show can fool you into doing that then it's it's done a good job in the plot of the show i think as well we're meant to believe that martin's hip is actually much worse than it is because he moves around fine <laughs> he really does move around <laughs> quickly, use that kind. I, saw, I saw a clip from like a season 11 episode earlier on on like Frasier fan club on Facebook and he just like he just moves through, like he's in the background moving across the Montana and he's like he's basically walking normally and just dragging the cane with him so yeah he, he his hip is meant to be a lot worse than we, than it's presented to be so it's nice to sometimes see him as like on his back getting some treatment because it, it kind of keeps our our suspension of disbelief a bit better but great moment with Niles arriving at this point and obviously Daphne scolding Eddie but Niles accidentally thinking it's about him and kind of getting horny as always so jarring to hear the word fanny in any context in America on American shows. I'm sure you agree with this. It's used in The Simpsons, I think, as well. And it, it, obviously, if, if people, American listeners don't know, fanny has a very different meaning in Britain than it does in on your side of the pond, and um, essentially refers to female female genitalia. Is the nicest way I can say it. Um, I'm well talking dirty there. Well talking dirty, and it's 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 kind of an offensive word as well. Like it's not a swear word but you, you don't use it frivolously um you wouldn't you wouldn't use it in front of your family for example if you had any respect for them um so well, yeah it's always a, jarring it's a, to hear this it's a, it's a word that's changed a lot over the years because 
you ask my nan, for instance, she'd tell you that Fanny Craddock was a restaurant critic and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I always hear the name Fanny Craddock and like, growing up, but I never knew where. Was she like a real person or a character or what? I know she was a real person. I think she was like a restaurant critic who was like very big on TV and I'm guessing like the 70s, something like that. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, right. she appeared in 24 television series between 1955 and 1975. Jesus Christ, she was extremely prolific then, so I feel very bad for not knowing more about Fanny Craddock. Slightly unfortunate name, I think, all, uh, <laughs> all things considered, but there we go. Uh, you know what I'm going to say next, don't you, Key? What celebrity is mentioned in, in the next the next moment or kind of the next next few lines after this that we've already had a reference to in the show i hope you is it a mad grotesquely scrolled and jaw <laughs> yes it is it is ken griffey jr i cannot we cannot bring him up without just mentioning again how much we love homer at the bat the simpsons episode <laughs> with ken griffey jr in forever associated with the simpsons for me but a very good baseball player in his own right i am told i'm not i don't follow um mlb but part of me would like to i do uh, i do love the whole America's pastime thing. We have now this reference to Maris being incapable of straddling anything larger than Border Collie. I've, I've kind of mentioned this at the start, saying I can never see a Border Collie without imagining her over over it, <laughs> looming over it. I hope to God that that's never been put to the test in the world of the show. Like, how would they know that? It's such a specific breed, an animal. I, I just... I'm struggling to get the thought process behind how they how they would know this. It's weird because I think I've seen a lot of border collies because Shan parents have a border collie. I think they look a bit like a little horse when they run. So yeah, they, can... they, they do. They gallop a little bit, don't they? I can see why Maris tried to straddle <laughs> She mistook him for a horse. <laughs> Maybe like one dark night in a in the Maris Crane Mansion. But yeah, just I, I was going to say something. Then it's completely. Um... Oh yeah, I was just like border collies in general. Like, they're meant to be like, really smart, aren't they? Like, the smartest breed of dog. So. That's They've got to be up there. That's all I associate with them. Um, oh, I imagine like Labradors and Golden Retrievers are higher. I think I think a Golden Retriever is the one they use for like seeing eye dogs. I think I think it's Golden Retriever, yeah, or Golden Labrador, one of the two. Golden Retriever rings a bell to me. Yeah, they seeing eye dogs blow me away. Like I just incredible the, the work that goes into training there um this is a massive tangent of course <laughs> I, I, I don't i don't you know have anyone in my family who needs one um i don't i don't know anyone who uses one but when i see them on public transport etc you can't help but just think this is just incredible um you know dogs truly are man's best friend we have at this point now fraser coming to the realization about slow tango in south seattle um also just a quick one i love that title do you like the title I do like the title yeah it's is a it bit a... mawkish but i like it, is it um play on something I might, it seems like it's a play on something but I can't I quite I think it. it's a play on um, which oh, we, we were getting to this early we normally save this till the end don't we the episode thing but I think it is a reference to Last Tango in Paris which is That's a Marlon Brando film from I believe the early 80s but it might be the late 70s or mid 70s I've never seen it I've meant to it's meant to be really good but it's controversial um, very controversial it involves like a, a sexually explicit scene um, which some details have come to light of since uh, kind of yeah. well in, in kind of the last five years I think actually which if people want to go and check that out then it's pretty easy to google but I don't want to get into it here so we have Fraser coming to terms with the fact that he now realizes this book is about his own kind of romantic pursuits when he was a kid amazing line from Martin when he says so this whole book is about the night you conceived Frederick the way he says that like waiting and then smiles and Niles getting in on it I actually think it's probably my favorite line of Martin 
Martins for like humor wise that we've had up to this point in the show. It's definitely up there. I really just I love the love watching Niles and Martin in this suit because they're basically they're like falling into each other laughing. Yeah, I love that. Um, and there's so many really great lines. I mean, when he comes back, I mean, the next line after that delivery is, from Martin is, "Hey, I'm just happy to know it wasn't your only time." Yeah, two great lines, yeah. one-two punch there. It's just it's phenomenal, and Martin. John Mahoney, he does it so, so well. These like little one-two punches of two very, very funny lines back-to-back. -back. Yeah, um, he's got the whole kind of dad ribbing you thing like down to a T here. It's so accurate. I think that's why it, the lines are so good. It's just so believable. We have, like, the way Martin starts talking about this scene now is where my first problems arise with the plot of this, which I kind of intimated during Trivia Corner. He starts referring to Frasier as his kid. Like, oh, my kid was taking lessons and she was taking advantage of you. I don't know when he used the word kid. I don't know if red, red bowels started going off in your head, but I was just starting to thinking, how young was Frasier at this point? Because something sounds really off. Like, he, he sounds like he would have been underage. Like, you'd have piano lessons, typically, when you were young the fact that he, we find out he had them when he was 17 is believable but a little bit kind of strange i think piano lessons obviously they go maybe they go on through your whole life but they tend to be your kind of your kind of pre-teen and then you know early teenage adolescent years so when he starts referring to oh you know i can't believe my kid i was sending my kid to the piano lessons and she was doing that and i just maybe maybe mrs warner kind of gets off lightly in this episode is it not like slightly predatory behavior on her part i don't know i think it's a bit more than slightly um, okay, i'm glad you agree with me because i don't want to be like taking a modern stance on ruining a good fraser plot but i think there's quite a few issues going on here i i definitely and i think i think it's one of those sort of situations that because like fraser is a male lead we're meant to sort of buy into this as a joke but i, I think it's actually in context it's quite creepy yeah um, I, th I think you're right about being a male lead it's meant to be like oh you know fraser becoming a man and he pulls it off because just it, this storyline really works with the character Frasier is and he's not kind of suffering PTSD from it which you very well could do if you were like another 17 year old kid but yeah I mean sorry you, you were gonna continue I think my, my point as well I mean one the whole thing about him learning to play piano at 17 I do find it weird I find it very strange that Frasier and Niles would not be learning piano at like 6 or 7 because yeah. they just seem like that's the sort of people they are I think the uh, implication is maybe that they started then and it continued to 17 which is what i find hard to believe i don't think it goes on that long um, i mean surely at that stage you're as good as the teacher yeah i, I, I think if you did it for like if you start when you were six or seven in 10 years you're definitely going to be at like whatever the highest grade is i think maybe grade grade eight grade nine but yeah it's there's a few kind of patchy things going here and i'd love to hear from people listening how they receive this episode now kind of thinking about it slightly more than just for being comedic like it is it does raise a few questions it is obviously responsible for giving us amazing lines like Niles Frasier getting his rack offs a pun on getting his rocks off which I just think is incredible again just uh, this uh, this was on, on I listened to a podcast recently um, a podcast episode that um, I'd seen advertised on Frasier fan club I think it was I think it was Steve it might have been Hamish it might have been neither of them and I'm misremembering but it is a it's called The Rules of Three and it's a British comedy podcast and they usually invite a comedy on a comedian on or someone involved with comedy to talk about something they love and they got the comedian Miles Jupp on who you're probably familiar with um, yeah yeah you know Miles Jupp and he talks about the episode mixed doubles and he basically they talk for an hour about Frasier and how much they love Frasier 
But they talked about it. in the writers, basically, Mars Jupp said, the writers had this thing, and they called them 10 percenters, and they were jokes that they basically thought only 10% of the studio audience would get, and then they litter them amongst jokes that 90% of them will get. And I think this getting his rack man enough, so I don't know if you agree with me here, but that is that is like a 5 percenter. Like, it is so clever. It is absolutely so, so clever. And I really love that, because so many buddy shows will play to the lowest common denominator and play for cheap laughs. Yeah, for and- sure. Have the confidence to be able to put a joke like that in. It's such a clever joke. I mean, even to come up with a joke like that is clever, but then to have the confidence to deliver on it is is fantastic. And it's, yeah, I just don't even know where you start writing a joke like that. It's just I remember probably this is one of those ones I probably heard when I was a kid watching the show, and obviously would not have understood it. And then just constantly reading and watching American culture, then you start hearing getting his rocks off. I, I mean, am I right in thinking that is an Americanism, or is it even a British thing? I don't know. I think if it is said in this country i think it's come over from the states yeah it's very rare you hear it over here but i've heard it in american media so it's just an amazing line so well written so well delivered credit to david hypers for delivering a line like that yeah he's again just you can't imagine another actor delivering that can you it's just the way he kind of gets his mouth around the word rackman enough is just a testament to his performance I, and this is again my next bullet point is just about a point you've already raised about how Frasier, Martin, and Niles are together in how they fight over the book and like the way like Martin's kind of like rolling back in the chair and he's like grabbing the book and I just think that's amazing. It's like a really rare moment of like them two being kind of playful and intimate together and you know just Niles and Martin being father and son. Yeah, it is it's a really nice moment and and I really really like both of them in this scene. They don't say that much really and they don't say much in the episode, but in this scene it, it's really nicely played out I think yeah, um, yeah the one the thing I'll just mention before I forget in terms of the whole Frasier being a bit creepy reason it's partly creepy for me is am I not right in thinking that in America the age of consent is 18 rather well, this than is this is a big thing because I think it varies state by state and I, I could be wrong and I please don't arrest me here um but I feel not you but anyone listening I feel like it might be 17 in some states it might even be as low as 16 in some like it is here and then it might it might go the other way in other states it could even be as high as like 19 or something but I'm I'm fairly certain that it's state by state but I, I could be wrong i mean were you under the impression it was standardized as, as 18 no i my understanding of american law which is next to nothing <laughs> is that it's all very much state by state basis so yeah um, it's very it, we'd have to look up well i mean where would they have been living would they have been in boston massachusetts at the time is that where fraser grew up i can't remember what state they lived in as kids so we we could check the age of consent in massachusetts and if, i feel they would have grown up in seattle because he, he always talks about coming back to oh, Oh, yeah, now. sorry, of course. It would have been Washington. So, in fact, let me just... I'm going to Google it now. I'm going to go on an incognito tab because I'm not... consent. 16. Oh, there we go, then. 16, there you go. Um, let me just make sure I put Washington State. It's not like DC. Yeah, it is 16. So, they obviously did their homework here to make sure they weren't creating a pedophile in, uh, in, in, in Mrs. Mrs. Warner. That um, said, though, which was, I, you know, age of consent laws are very valid and it's not illegal. It can still be very creepy if you're around the threshold. Yeah, I'm completely with you. And also, don't think we'll ever mention say the word paedophile on another episode of a Frasier podcast again. <laughs> but there you go. It's uh, it's out there. So at this point, we go back to KACR where everyone has heard about Frasier's escapades, including Bulldog, who says, Hey, piano boy! <laughs> Wait up, found those ivories! <laughs> Which is just 
<laughs> a brilliant line, so visceral, it's just so classic Bulldog. It's great that he has like a few little moments in this episode. I do miss him when he's not around. And just a really sad detail about Bulldog's life here. When he says his dad got him a hooker for his birthday. All he wanted was a bike and he just kind of <laughs> breaks down when he says this. It's a rare and pretty devastating look into, into Bulldog's childhood and explains a lot about why he is how he is. <laughs> uh, and I tell you what, I absolutely love the sort of juxtaposition between Gil and uh, and Bulldog in this scene. Even the way that they're they're reading the book out, you know, because Bulldog's just made a joke about pound the ivories. <laughs> Whereas Bill comes up with the line, my vessel yearns to dock in the magnificence of your harbour. Complete <laughs> differences line. between the way that the two of them are mocking Frasier. They've come together for it. And it's well done. is amazing. And then just Bulldog. Bulldog's laugh. I've actually I've actually got the bullet point there. His, I love Bulldog's laugh at that. It's like really human and over the top. And like, he just, I love the way Dan Butler like laughs at that joke. But then he's just like, wait a minute, that's not in the book. <laughs> Such a great little throwaway gag as they're walking off. But yeah. Just again, this shows how good Gil is and how much the show is poorer for when he's not in the KACL scenes. Um, this is another thing they spoke about actually on that Miles Jupp podcast is that initially it was going to be entirely based at KACL, the show was. So when you see like Gil and you see but Dan and, and Bulldog and stuff, you know, these are like the you know, the cameo cast members that would have would have filled that kind of typical workplace sitcom. I see, I don't think I'd have liked that because I'd have, I, I think the dynamic with Martin Niles won't be the same and yeah, you wouldn't sure. have obviously you wouldn't have Nervosa which would be a huge loss there'd be in fact there'd be very very little need for Niles at all like yeah. you know what I mean yeah. he'd be very much reduced to a cameo role wouldn't he but I would have. I, we say it quite a bit don't we but I'd have loved to have seen more Bulldog and more Gil um, because it's moments like this that you really think they could have played a bit more on that sort of office comedy sort of a role where you've got these you know colleagues taking the mick out of each other um, and especially yeah. the nature of their role because they, they all work at KACL but they've all got very different they've got very similar but in the same way very different jobs because they present different topics and, and different shows I feel like you could have you could have done a lot with that yeah no I completely agree um, and I do love it when it's at KACL like it, you, when you get that flash of what this could have been if they'd gone for the workplace sitcom thing because it is it is often very kind of cosy but also funny as well and there's people coming and going through the booth doors and it's like a stage play, something they do a lot in Frasier in other episodes with like the cabins and things. They're big fans of like the, the stage setup. And so the whole of KACL as a set is really interesting as well. Uh, someone's actually recreated it in Lego and I often see that online, which is really cool. But uh, yeah, completely agree with everything you said there. Um, it's interesting when we see these kind of flashes of, of what might have been in an alternative universe. So at this point, Thomas J. Fallow is actually in KACL on Amber Edwards' book chat, and he's reading about his, um, he's reading from the book some more extremely mawkish prose about, and then you left. No, like something about weeping and then you wept, or I can't remember the lines. I was going to do a Thomas J. Fallow impression, but it's pretty useless when I haven't got the quotes. But uh, he actually seems like a decent guy. Like, his interaction with Frasier, I know he's a little bit knuckle-headed, that he's obviously just been very short-sighted in not crediting Frasier and, you know, he's clearly, uh, he's a He's a decent, if not very, needs an editor writer. But um, he just, I think, generally seems like a decent guy at this point. I don't think I don't think we were meant to hate Thomas J. Fallow. I, as a listen, as a bloke, I quite like him. Well, I will say he's got a really nice voice. I could listen to he that actor's voice. Very silky. 
um, and he reads so well on the radio. Like he could do an aud- he'd love Audible. He would age. love Audible. I was thinking about this actually. Like writers in general, they tend to be one of two ways. They're very good readers of their own work, or they're terrible. I, I mean, I am not a writer, but anything I've ever written, I am terrible at reading it out, and that's not a gift I have. But then you listen to some poets and stuff, and you, you read their poetry on paper and it's like yeah this is very moving when you hear it performed it's like transcendental it's incredible you know, hearing poetry read out loud is is how it's meant to be anyway but thomas j fellow is someone who's clearly you know a great reader of his own work and as long as he's not getting stuck down a wormhole of a metaphor that goes on for 10 pages you know he can he can pull it off something that's said. sorry you go you go that said though i'm not sold on him as an actor i don't really i i agree i think i agree he's not he's not great in this scene i think you go you go with that there's one bit in particular where i mean one let's just say before he goes in kelsey's line of i'm god and he knows it <laughs> <laughs> so, so so well done um it's just it's that sort of draw that it's it phenomenal um, but in comparison when he's thomas j fallow says oh you read my book why he puts his hand on his heart yeah. is really wooden to me and, i really don't he, like, get it leans, he kind of like shrinks back a little bit you know like kind of like a disney character does when they're like taken aback or something sweet it is like a disney thing i'm completely with you that's the one thing he does in the scene where i suddenly think maybe this guy can't act uh, it's just that's a, that's a really harsh way of doing it isn't it he does that one thing i'm like maybe he can't act <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really brought down the hammer on him there um i love i think i i stand by that he seems like a perfectly decent guy but yes certainly certainly some pause for uh for thought when it comes to his acting chops i've got to get to this next bullet point kick i've been looking forward to this all all week until I when I first watched this and I made my notes. Yeah, I don't think you'll be familiar with this because you don't much to your um your credit that you don't rot on Fraser forums like I do and see kind of posts and memes and, and things people have discovered. But basically, I, I the timestamp in this episode around ten twenty five when Fraser goes to hug Thomas J. Fallow, there is um a kind of ghostly image of a woman on the right hand side of the screen which basically you can clearly see a woman's face it's either someone on set being reflected back into the camera or it's someone in the studio audience being reflected it's not i'm not quite sure how on earth they're being reflected into the scene because they're clearly not visible in front of the camera but their reflection is now that's pretty creepy anyway and if you google that um there's quite a few people talking about that on various forums and stuff now this is the best one basically i think just after that or it might be just before there's an even creepier superimposed image and it's like to the left of the screen and it's basically on kelsey's back and you see a woman and it looks like Roz with like bleeding red eyes and you can see her eyes and there's there's clearly stuff coming out of her eyes down her chin and it almost looks like stigmata or something it's really unsettling and basically i remember someone on twitter tweeting this and perry gilpin retweeted it going oh my god like what is this and everyone was going crazy and watching the episode and finding it and yeah i mean i i'm obviously almost certain you won't have caught this because unless you're looking for it like i was because i already knew this was in the episode but yeah as someone who's obsessed really with kind of creepy things um i love this weird moment in this episode i 
I didn't. I knew none of this. Honestly, I, I, I mean, I imagine that was a massive shock to you. So, any kind of how any comments on these creepy findings? I mean, I'm trying to look now. I'm trying. I was googling while you were saying to try and find the image. It's really it, difficult. It's uh, got I, one other kind of woman's. Oh, oh, I do see the face. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Is it the normal woman's face or the one with the bleeding eyes? It's, she, she looks normal. Is um, she on the right of the screen? The right hand side. She's bo bottom right. Yeah, yeah, that's the normal one. Um, if um, you type like Frasier bleeding eyes and then hit on Google, I think it will take you to the tweet from someone at the top, and there that right. that is the person who took the screen grab that uh, Perry Gilpin interacted with. I will say I own the Frasier box set. Um, I don't know if this is also the case for you, Keith, but this is for people listening. I own the Frasier box set that has been dog-eared to death over the years um, for me watching it back and back and back and forth. Um, but when we rewatch these episodes for the week, I often find them online, shall we say, on a kind of less than reputable websites because I need to see them quickly and they don't stream anywhere online in the UK. So I hope I won't get in trouble for saying that, but uh, I'm being honest here. I, I own all the discs. But anyway, uh, you can't see the images that well on the, on the versions we watch because they're very pixelated. They're not high definition. But if you watch like a DVD rip, um, they're very clear. And I just think it's amazing. It's just such a weird talking point about this episode. And this episode's pretty forgettable for most people as the season opener goes. But I think those are really, really interesting. The fact that Perry Gilpin got in on it, I was like, yeah, something's cool here. Um, I love is that I'm looking at this tweet now and um, someone responded to it with, oh my God, is it is it Maris? <laughs> <laughs> it could well be. That's it could well be. This show. might be the only sighting we get of a bleeding eyes Maris. Um, these sister of bleeding gums murphy from the simpsons <laughs> i love when they get back to the k uh, back to fraser's apartment how proud martin is that fraser made fallow cry just another great moment we have so many of these from martin where he just loves his sons acting like you know typical sons and i just think it's uh some really great dad moments for martin in this episode he actually and has a few bits of advice to kind of impart at this point as well he says life is not hard you make it hard do you believe in this i wanted to ask you it's 100 percent um, yeah you believe I, in that like i make my life hard um, i i am so with you there i over analyze everything to death I, I don't know if you would agree about yourself but i, I, do, am, yeah. I overthink everything and i mean the smallest most inconsequential decision in my life it could be what to have for lunch or you know when to schedule a meeting with someone anything i am um, yeah, I, I really do overthink everything. And I am it was in it was at that moment I was like, I really am Frasier, basically. If I was to be similar to anyone in this show, it is Frasier. I mean I think I think what Martin's getting at and he's bang on is that what happens to you that is hard or good or bad, it's how you react to it. Mm -hmm. And there's some people who can be in a very difficult situation, they'll keep their chin up, they're happy, bounce off the back, and they just they just go with it and they roll with it. And those people tend to be happy people. And then there's people like me. <laughs> If, if someone you. doesn't give me a thank you wave, I think about it all day. Mate, I couldn't be, we're so alike in that sense. I mean, this is why we've probably been friends for like 20 years, because we've sensed when we were kids that we, we knew this. But yeah, like, if someone just says something like in sl a slightly weird tone to me, I'll be thinking, oh, did I offend them? Or um, I send emails to people and then I suddenly worry that something sounded arrogant or presumptuous or blah, 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 even though I know this person knows me and would never think that those things. And then I sometimes 
think, should I send a follow-up email to clarify? And they're like, no, because then you look insane. Don't do that. Um, amount of times I send an email and then I'll go back into my sent items and read through it again just to like, oh, that's okay. I do that all the time. I'm so glad to hear you do that. Um, <laughs> and like, I'm just kind of, oh, yeah, did I slip up? Did I say something weird? Did I, this is another thing. I make sure I do this like all the time. I have to check I use the person's name correctly because i get really worried i was in autopilot and i called them by like another name that i saw in my inbox as i was writing it or something and i just think getting yeah, someone's just... name wrong especially via email where you've got all the time in the world is like yeah you know it's, it's the difference between fraser and fraser um as we, <laughs> as we get in one episode but there you go so, <laughs> we have life is not hard you make it hard we also have you can learn a big lesson from this dog <laughs> as eddie rides around on the floor um makes him happy a stock okay. <laughs> and to be honest i'm also a bit like eddie here because i was very easily pleased as a kid and if you gave me like one quick little toy like a either i've mentioned this before a spider-man and a woody doll i would sit around for like four hours a day just playing with them up to when i was about 13 14 years old <laughs> i'm not ashamed to admit i played with them every day so i am a bit like eddie i'm very easily pleased so we have at this point fraser confirms he was 17 when he lost his virginity to mrs warner i i've, I've just put we've already talked about it but it seems weird to be having piano lessons at that age to me uh fraser after that point we see a really nice scene of fraser reading in the eames at night I, I just really love this moment because it's like the low light of the episode of the of the apartment and him kind of sitting in the eames which he rarely does is eddie in his lap i can't remember i don't don't think he is could be wrong is there an end of an episode we have seen where he's sitting in the eames with eddie i feel like we've seen that at some point in a Phil so yeah i think so yeah yeah i can't um, remember when that was but i just love the fact he's sitting in the eames he's reading it and a rare but really good like visual sight gag with like him skipping all the pages um and the voiceover like this is kind of a very unique setup for a joke that i don't think we see kind of repeated again the way they combine voiceover and, and visual gags it, it works so well for me i, I think i really really like this scene i think it's visually quite beautiful um i think i say i say i'm not a big fan of this book but I mean, in short bursts, it sounds very good. I just couldn't it tolerate does. it for very long. And that's what makes it work so well with the joke of, and so he was gone and skipping ahead. <laughs> he also does a very good job, I think, here of making you think that it's not just for the joke. It's also him trying to, he, he can't relive it and doesn't want to go through it again. So he skips to the fact that he's gone. Yeah. Um, I think he does a very good job of, of portraying that very well. That's um, a really good point, actually. I'd never thought about that. It is, it's a very funny joke. And this this may be as intelligent as the writers of Frasier. Um, the line, he had been a teenage Balboa. Is that Rocky? Because I think Rocky. I think Balboa refers to, it's like, a, it's a word, but it's a word that long predates Rocky, basically. Um, right. Well, I don't, I, I'm just Googled it. Apparently, it is a dance. It's a lunar crater and a Spanish explorer. There you go. I think it's referring to Vasco Nunes de Balboa. It was a Spanish explorer and conquistador. And yeah, he, and he, he crossed to uh, the Pacific. Yeah, he went to the New that. World, so I think he was very important in the kind of settling of and discovery of the New World. So I think it must be in reference to him. But yeah, I always just think of Rocky, and I think every, I think 99% of people think of Rocky. Imagine if Fraser had gone back at the end and just walked in and go, Yo, Adrian! <laughs> Yo, Mrs. Warner! <laughs> so incredible. I, yeah, I, I love the, the fact that it's sending up this... Um, the, the, the overwritten nature of Thomas J. Fallow because I wanted to just read a very short, it's literally a couple of sentences 
sentences. One of my favorite writers is Cormac McCarthy. If anyone listening has, has written, he wrote, he wrote the, uh, the road, which is very famous post-apocalyptic book that was made into a film came out about 13 years ago, 14 years ago, extremely bleak, but he has a, a passage from a book called all the pretty horses, which I love this passage, but it also sounds very much like a Thomas J. Fallow in how over descriptive it is. Let me just read this. This is describing a storm as glimpsed on like the American prairie. Shrouded in the black thunderheads, the distant lightning glowed mutely like welding seen through foundry smoke, as if repairs were underway at some flawed place in the iron dark of the world. Now, I love that quote. However, Cormac McCarthy does get a stick from a lot of critics that he overwrites, and it's really biblical in its tone. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the Wes Anderson film, The Royal Tenenbaums, but Owen Wilson's character in that is basically a joke Cormac McCarthy, and he reads a passage from a book that is exactly like Thomas J. Fallow meets Cormac McCarthy, and it's this stupidly overwrought description of like a cowboy riding or riding away somewhere. But yeah, I just wanted to read that passage because and kind of share some some love for some love for books because people listening obviously know that's why I kind of do. Um, but yeah, I think. I think if Slow Tango is available to purchase key, it's like a fan piece of merch. I think I'd I think I'd buy it and read it just to say I just to say I have. I think I'd buy it to say I've got it and I <laughs> So you could push into a room holding it and thinking, Oh look, you know, whenever Thomas J. Fellow arrives, you can say you can point to it. Um, but yeah, so you can be like those women in KSEL that rush in when he starts crying. Um, pretty much. <laughs> I go, Key, hang on for ten seconds, there's a wasp and I need to kill it. And this is gonna be going for blooper reel as well. <laughs> Swift blast of the moccasin slipper, and it is down. Okay, can you carry on? You genuinely managed to kill it that fast. Yeah, man, one whack. Genuinely impressed. <laughs> um, pinnacle of my career. I was on Saturday when I managed to kill five flies in a day. Wow, I'm not exaggerating, but about two summers ago, we went to a pub in Nuneaton, and I killed ten wasps in an hour. Ten. Jesus, Honestly, I am legend in that town now. The wasps <laughs> fear me. Okay, we've got an off topic. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, following this scene, Fraser goes to see Clarice, um, and it, it's really quite a beautiful moment actually he walks in and he sees an elderly lady looking you know playing piano and he assumes it is clarice um and it's a, it's a very beautiful i mean he stands by the door and he says clarice time the soul thief of youth yeah yeah I, 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 is, it, is he quoting i don't know if it's john dunn or tennyson or someone it's a famous or it might even be shakespeare time is it subtle thief subtle thief of youth it is it is yeah sonnet seven i think it's shakes no it's john milton it's john milton wrote paradise lost but yeah it's a gorgeous gorgeous quote it is and it's actually i tell you i'm, I'm gonna be honest with you uh, mrs warner as in um, Clarice's mother. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love her. I think she's one of the best moments of this, of this episode, isn't she? I don't think she does a single average line. Everything she delivers is perfect. <laughs> oh, look, I've got a raindrop on my nose. <laughs> I, I think there's a moment, and it might just be Kelsey acting, but to me, it looks like he breaks character slightly. Really? And he, he giggles a little bit when <laughs> she delivers one of her lines. I think... As Clarice comes in, I think Mrs. Warner says, oh, she's trying to get rid of me, but I'll be back, and sort of winks at Kelsey. And I think Kelsey giggles a little bit. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think she, she really does elevate this scene, because if I'm being brutally honest, I think the episode like kind of just tails off once 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 he goes to this house. I think the episode is kind of in the water a little bit. There are some good moments here, 
and there's a lot of great growth for Fraser as a character, and I really enjoy seeing him kind of navigate these memories of his childhood or kind of adolescence is more appropriate. I really enjoy seeing his character growth for sure, but as as in in terms of kind of Frasier, it, it really does linger on like very few gags at this point. If we took I... out Mrs. Warner Senior, there would be no gags at all, basically, other than do you still keep it up? <laughs> Which is a great line. That is I really a great line. That. I find quite strange that Frasier has a very beautiful line at the start of this scene when he goes back and you know he, he thinks that she's essentially got you know dementia or Alzheimer's. Yeah, um, really sad. Yeah, and he says you know you helped Shy Adolescent and take his first uncertain steps. Uh, and I ran off and left you. You're so sweet and all this. It's a really beautiful line, but he says it to the wrong person. And I don't think he actually says it to Clarice. No, he all. doesn't. That's what's annoying, isn't it? And that's I think that's all part of... I don't know what the rule would be in TV. But it's like the dramatic irony in that we the, the writers can't have him repeat that material because that's like, you know, number one in TV and film. You can't repeat yourself or repeat a line or whatever. Like, you can't, they can't do that again. So, yeah, like, I think we as the audience are meant to internalize what he said and then he projects that onto Clarice in the way he interacts with her. But you're, you're completely right. Like, it all goes to waste. And obviously, Clarice never gets to hear this. And obviously, she's moved on with her own kind of guy that arrives. It's meant to be like, you know, a mini Frasier in some respect. But yeah, like it's it's interesting that maybe they could have reconciled had she heard what he said. I, I just find it strange that he doesn't try to say anything particularly sweet or poignant to her. He, he, you know, when when he when she actually comes in, you know, he apologizes about the book, but other nights like, oh, are you married? You know, do you keep it up? Yes, the piano. <laughs> Are you single? It's nothing particularly in depth like no, he had with her very, mother. Yeah, it's very perfunctory how they're talking, and then and then you have the gags like where he sits at the piano and she leans over him and he basically just full on leers at her chest, um, which is obviously a reference to earlier in the episode when uh, they talk about her heaving bosom heaving when she reached the brushed against. <laughs> brushed against his cheek, which is it's funny, but also seeing Fraser doing it now and stuff in the same room or house at least because Mrs. Warner Senior has left the room it's all a little bit inappropriate but yeah i just i mean i've not really got many more bullet points we're basically at the end of what i'd written for this episode but yeah it's kind of unsatisfying in some ways but fraser gets the closure he wants in in many respects and i think that's satisfying because it it's ultimately what the, sh the episode is about and i think the the whole episode being about his inner turmoil and niles kind of cutting through to the chase saying you know this is how we need to get closure I think all of that is interesting. I'm going with the last bullet point is just I think him being left alone in that house with Mrs. Warner Senior is both funny and also terrifying. I would be so scared. I'd be like, is this she woman put a raindrop like... on her nose? She did. Is, like, is this woman gonna like let me leave? Is she gonna lock the door? Yeah, but she's clearly like hot for hot for Frage. So, but yeah, I mean, have you got any any points for the for the episode that I we haven't mentioned before we move on to the uh, the usual gubbins at the end? I would say, and people, I'm really interested to see what people think about this. So please feel free to disagree agree with me and write in but i'd i think this episode would have actually ended better if mrs warner senior had been clarice and that she yeah, had I she was much so older you. and yeah. that, you know maybe she was starting to lose you know she had dementia and losing her memories and because i think it would have given a really nice sweet bittersweet poignant end to an episode that i don't think it really knew where it was going in places and it would have given it that real twist ending that you know it would have been it would have been a lot more poignant a lot more heartfelt if it had given those lines and known that he's got forgiveness but at the same time doesn't really remember him i think that would have been a really really bold and really interesting end of an episode for for the first episode of a new season of a comedy 
I think that would have been really bold, and I'd have liked to have seen that. But um, I, no. I think that is a fantastic point. I completely. I think that would have been a really good ending. The only thing I can think of is the reason they didn't do this is because then would the age gap between them 25 years ago have been even more severe? You know, then she really is an out, an older woman taking advantage of a 17-year-old. Clarice is obviously still, to quote Frasier, stunning. We imagine Clarice 25 years ago, and she wouldn't have looked that much older than 17, probably. She'd have looked probably like, what, 25 or something? So, it just, yeah, I, th- I, I think maybe the, the age difference would have been too apparent there. But, yeah, the idea of Frasier, like, having all these memories and being so up in his own mind and, you know, struggling to reconcile all of this... And then him to realise how inconsequential that is when faced with the prospect of growing old and mortality and him thinking, I should just, you know, cherish these memories or whatever. There's just a lot going on in this ending and, and thinking about, you know, was Mrs. Warner exploiting Frasier and stuff, you know. it's There's a lot to this episode, I think. It, it, it gets maligned, you know, a little bit by, by, by Frasier fans because it, on the surface, it doesn't really feel like it's about much of anything. But I think there's a lot of Frasier's backstory here that's kind of teased out. I, I just think as an episode, I think it doesn't really know what it wants to be yeah massively um, you know there's a lot of mocking of Frasier but there's not a lot of really really funny gags it's you know there's a lot of reading the book but it's not really particularly heartfelt it's I don't know I feel it sort of shoots for both and ends up in the little and a bit in the middle somewhere to be mm. honest with you that, that'll be my take on it yeah no I completely agree I think that is the one weakness of this episode is it doesn't quite know what he wants to be I think you've uh, you've summarised that really well um, I, I, I spoke to uh, a new Frasier fan recently who's been listening to the podcast and she's been very praising and she, she really enjoys it um, her name is Anna I'm not quite certain how to say her surname I think it's maybe she, I, I'm not going to try and pronounce her surname because I'll get it wrong she has basically asked me she thought it would be a good idea if we kind of said who wrote each episode as well because obviously some of the writers like Joe Keenan who as we have keep teasing we have an email interview with that we will release at some point some writers are known to Frasier fans and they like to see which episodes are written by the others and it's probably just good practice that we should have started from the beginning so we're going to start doing that now so this episode was written by Martin Weiss and it was directed by James Burroughs. I'm going to ask you, Key, this week, is it in your top 10? It's not in my top 10. It is not in mine either. Um, I'm not surprised that it's not in your top 10, but there you go. Um, my favourite actor pick this week, I am, I'm going to go with Frasier because it's a very Frasier-centric episode. Not many of the other characters get much to do. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a really good growth of his character here in spite of the episode's flaws in some respects. I completely agree with you. My, my pick is Kelsey as well. I think the delivery of, you know, the way he says, um, my God, I just, I love the way, <laughs> my God. <laughs> so um, my God! Do you believe this guy's grandiosity? I'm God and he knows it. <laughs> I mean, if, it, if we could give it to a non-main cast member, Mrs. Warner, a senior, absolutely loved her. But I think it's really, it's hard to look past Kelsey. I mean, you know, he does a great job, but also no one else really has much time on, on screen, to be he honest. He does dominate the script, doesn't he, in this app? Very much a Kelsey episode. It is, um, it is. And they tend They tend to be strong, like normally, so it's weird that this one is not as strong. But, I mean, it's not a dud by any means. I mean, it's a it's a perfectly okay episode, is what it's, I would it's, say. It's a mid-season episode, isn't it? Like, that's what's weird, that it opens season two. It's a strange it's a strange opener, and I think probably gets more criticism than it deserves because it's an opener, and, and people probably don't... People perhaps struggle to see it as in that sort of role, but... It's okay. It's not, you know, if you if you're suggesting some, if you could pick one episode of Frasier for someone to watch, this probably isn't it. Um, yeah, I think you're. It's, it's right. perfectly adequate. Perfectly adequate. 
I've got to ask you, Key, as always, for our man I, on the ground, what do you think Kennedy Burling would have thought of this episode? Um, I think Kennedy Burling would say that it was perfectly adequate, just like Frasier's first time. Wow, um, there you go. That's a very personal thing for Kennedy to mention. <laughs> I do love to know, I'd love to tell everyone, that, um, Kennedy now has apparently a Facebook page. Kennedy does have a Facebook, Facebook page. Um, you possibly add him. Um, I don't know if it's just... All I will say is keep your eyes peeled on Frasier Fan Club over on Facebook, and Kennedy may make himself known to you if you are a chosen one he doesn't just fraternize with anybody but kennedy's a busy man he might make himself appear and say hello but thank you key no further explanations needed thank you for giving us kennedy's opinions this week before we go to listener mail it's just the small business of whose crane is it anyway are you ready for that this week Key? i am indeed excellent so key this week on whose crane is it anyway i've got a question that someone asks in this episode and it is simply Will you calm down? Who says, will you calm down in this episode? Oh, okay. Um, what I'm thinking is... Mm-hmm. Talk me through it. All right, I, again, I should know the rules by now. Can it be anyone? It can be it anyone just... in the in anyone who has a speak, spoken line in the episode. Okay, but my first thought then is that it's probably going to be Roz. Because when I, I feel like when, when he's going on, but, um, by God, and all this, <laughs> I feel that she probably says to him, oh, will you just calm down? So that reason i am gonna say roz key 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 you are correct it is right <laughs> she says will you calm down and then he says not until i've exacted my pound of flesh can you tell me what that is a reference to no i know figure of speech uh, but i don't know I it came know. like many phrases idioms and words in the english language from shakespeare and it is from merchant of venice shylock famously exacts his uh his pound of flesh in a uh in kind of getting revenge for a deal or something i've not i've not seen or read much of venice but there you go Roz, who's our next caller so for listening to mal this week we've got quite uh quite a bit actually um really really appreciated as always i'm reading pretty much everything as is key from the subreddit because we're spread across so many different social media platforms now we get people saying things on facebook as well i lose track of everything and really it's nice to have it all in one place so i really apologize if you don't get anything read out i will make sure that i make i put this reddit link around in future weeks but if you have any comments it would really help if you could post them post them there and i will definitely read them how if you can't do that for any reason i will try my best to uh to get everything else in but um first from hamish Quizmaster, he put well done will and key you've made it to season one conclusion what a ride and i must say i think i speak on behalf of all of us listeners that it's getting more polished and better as time goes on. Steve, Preston and I, those are three very prominent members of Fraser Fan Club, will continue to press this home on on the eponymous group. Love the recap. My order for episodes is similar. However, my top five is number five, my coffee with Niles, then the good son, Fraser Crane's day off, travels with Martin, and number one was author, author. And he put, although this could have been very different as there's so many wonderful episodes. Love the bloopers at the end, Will. Outstanding banter between the two of you, and I look forward to continuing to being a part of the series with my questions. So thank you so much, Hamish. Obviously, your questions are always appreciated, as are your comments. So uh, lovely to have you listening. Key, uh, do you want to read the next one? Our next one is uh, Cab in the City, who said, The ambience didn't bother me at all. Honestly, I thought it made it cosy, but I can see how the others would be distracting. I'm a person that normally that usually does two or more things at once and always has a TV on in the background, so it didn't bother me. Uh, that will be cool to have different rankings. There are plenty of references in the show. Courtmaster versus member, club member versus guest, etc. Lot. I've 
just realised that that com that was should have been a reply to an earlier comment, but they've posted it on its own, so that's not going to make any sense on its own. Yeah, that made no sense. To <laughs> I, I will just. I, I'm not going to edit this out. I will fill in what that means. So obviously, I asked Cab in the City what they thought of the coffee shop ambience in the previous episode, and we also talked about future rankings for the for the episodes. I had blues, scrambled eggs, tossed salads. Cabin the City had the idea of the platinum door, the silver door, and the gold door from the uh, from the episode Door Jam, which was amazing. And then together we kind of caught up the idea every season recap, we will have a different Frasier-themed ranking system, which I thought sounded really cool and really fun. So that is what that was a reference to for those listening. So that, that was a little bit confusing, so apologies. A2DABX put, love the show, thanks. Nice short and sweet one. And Sep Sep, but love the podcast, guys. It's terrific. I really love it. You do great work. Thank you very much. Season 1, Episode 9, Selling Out, is the only episode in the entire show where the final credits skit has some audible noise, which is Frasier emerging from under the water. Really, really cool observation. Um, or she is right, I'm not sure. But um, I, th- I think, so. does Frasier not like gasp as he comes back up, I think? Is that is that what they're referring to, emerging from under the water? I think so. I'm, I, I think, and I could be wrong, because I've not seen it since we reviewed it, but if I remember correctly, Frasier comes up, sort of gasps, and he puts his hands to his face and sort of, you know... Oh, so that, that's the noise that they're referring to? Um, I, I think so, yeah. I think. There you go. It's a really cool observation, that is. Um, I love little, little bits like that, are kind of what we live for on this podcast, so thank you very much. Really Interesting. I wonder why the writers particularly felt that was necessary. It was important to keep that in when they, generally speaking, don't. Yeah, um, I mean it's quite clear that he's coming from out of water, so we don't need to hear the noise we all make when we come out from holding our breath underwater. It's a weird one. A very interesting, a really good spot that one. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, next comment we've got uh, Matthew Taranto. Hey guys, I've listened to every show so far, but haven't commented until now. Thanks for such an enjoyable podcast. You two have a great rapport, and the tone of the show is enjoyably positive and light, making for a cosy listening experience. Oh. I'm actually ranking all the Frasers myself as I go through the show, so it's particularly interesting hearing other people's considerations. But now I'm expecting you guys to have the entire series ranked by the end of it. If are, are we... any, that's anything like our ranking of it uh, on the individual <laughs> season, we will be an absolute mess. But I love the idea. Look, I do love how many people are saying it's cozy because I think that's what we were aiming for. That really. is exactly what I said in my response. Actually, that's the one adjective I wanted this podcast to be associated with, um, and I, that's why I think the coffee ambience adds that extra flavour to it. So, if you can hear the coffee ambience in the background of this episode, it means I've decided to put it in for a kind of a trial run on the review episodes, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, really, thank you, Matthew Taranto. Um, so it sounds like I'm calling you your full name, like Thomas J. Fallow. Um, but yeah, really, really lovely comments there. Reclia77, our resident uh, spoiler avoider, though I think they're probably close to catching up now. Um, very long comment from Reclia, which is so, so appreciated. But just given the time constraints, I'm going to pick a few of our favourites from this. Reclia particularly enjoyed my impression of Frasier's sound, um, but no idea how to spell that sound. So very, very pleased. Um, I'm not the only one that thinks that sounds a little bit like it. Couldn't believe I put dinner at eight so low. My jaw dropped when I heard it. I believe why it shot me so much is it's because it's the episode where Niles and Daphne meet. That is true, to be fair. And I remember way back when, Key, you were particularly excited for that episode because of that exact reason. And I was probably unjust in my ranking of it so low, but there we go. And also, I mentioned Frasier banging on the glass. And he gets to Niles and Maris's a mansion in Midwinter Night's Dream. Uh, I, I called that one the scariest moments. He says, 
I was reminded of mine, I'm not going to say it here, but it's in an early Season 2 episode, and I don't know what they're referring to, but I did say, could you give me a clue? And it's about the delivery of a line. So we're just going to, I think we should just wait, not look it up, and just keep reviewing the episodes as we're doing. If anything stands out to us as slightly spooky or weird, we can flag it up, and then maybe Reckley will tell us if we're correct. I like the idea of a bit of a, a scavenger hunt for that. So yeah, thank you very much, Reckley, for those comments. Um, really, really appreciate it. Okay, so the next comment we have is, uh, is of course, Mystery of Night. Um, which is, where is Daphne reading? She walks past Frasier and smacks him. As far as I know, the only rooms down that hall are Frasier's bedroom and bathroom, as well as Martin's room. So where was she when she had the book? Just seemed a little weird slash forced for me. Really, really love this observation. Probably my favourite thing anyone's ever said about this episode to Corey. Huge thanks, because it's such a great point. There is nowhere down there she could possibly have been reading. She, w she wouldn't use that bathroom. I think Frasier is meant to have a, a, a hat museum down there. That's like in, early in the season, he refers to a hat museum or something. We know like he doesn't have an office because that was meant to be Daphne's room. So it, it must just be a setup so she can walk past him and hit him on the head. But then like, could they have done it elsewhere? Could they have got him sitting on? No. If he, if he rotates the chair or he was sitting on the sofa, she could have walked across the living room and then gone out, you know, gone out somewhere. It's really weird. I don't know what you thought. Could they have done it with her coming out of her room just to hit him and go back in? Maybe. Maybe. Just, I just felt a bit awkward and weird her kind of coming from the right then leaving from the right i don't know possibly yeah i think, I think it, you're wrong it is, it is a strange one and there, you know it's completely valid there is no reason martin's room like doing his exercises why would she have the book with her so it's a it is a strange one it is, it a, strange is a strange one. it's a great observation um and thank you everyone who who wrote in for listener mail this week um as always we love reading your stuff out so please keep it coming next week we'll be looking at Episode 2 of Season 2, The Unkindest Cut of All, which I believe is about poor Eddie and uh, his misters being seen to at the vets and uh, the kind of the tension that arises between Frasier, Martin and, and Eddie at, uh, at the prospect of that. Um, but other than that, I've been Will. Been Kay. And thank you very much for listening to We're Listening. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Well, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scraps.